Church, I am so excited on these Sabbaths when all of our worship leaders are here, our five main worship leaders. Isn't it wonderful to have them together? I love this Sabbath. And I just thank them all, and I'm ready to go home because I heard it all first service too, the power of a testifying community of God's goodness. It's strong, isn't it? We'll just do a few more minutes together, however. Ten words I learned growing up in the church. Ten words some of us, well, with ease, we hold on to these words. Some of us with guilt. Others of us ignore these words altogether. Recorded in Philippians 4, verse 4, ten words that summarize the Christian perspective, the perspective of faith while we live in this world. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Ten words that some of us aren't quite sure about. Now, I remember growing up in Sabbath school, they were very sure in the primary Sabbath school about joy. You remember this green book? You got to be old. It was primary, page 63. Mike's, Mike's going to play this tune. I know you're going to want to sing. Um, smile, smile, smile. You remember that? Kathy's going to sing into a microphone. Join her if you'd like to. this week, if you would keep happy when things are looking bad, just lift the corner of your mouth and make believe. Just pretend. Right? Actually, those who study happiness, there are happiness researchers, they tell us it is smart to smile. It is intelligent to be with people who are happy and positive, who look on the bright side of life. You know, if you've considered that, it changes your own outlook and perspective to be with people who smile and who are content and who are happy. My mother used to also walk around the house singing a little tune on a especially good day. Her hands would go like this as she would march around the house. I only remember really this little line, pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile. Did you know, I didn't know and I'm sure my mother does not know, that's a World War I marching song. <laughs> written while the Germans are bombing Britain. They write this little marching song. I've been interested in these kinds of stories because as we look at the economy today, many people are reflecting on the Great Depression of the 20th century and asking, well, how did people survive? One of the ways they sang these songs. This little song, which was for the war, had a life of its own after the war. Listen to this sweet lady interpret 
this British marching song. This, this woman's name is Olive. We'll see if she'll, uh, we can hear her. Why you for Lucifer to light your fag? Child always ends a style. Was in the show worrying. It never was worthwhile. So pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. Now she's just getting warmed up. Here, here she goes. Pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. Why you loose enough to light your fag? Fireboys at the style was you so worrying. It never was worthwhile. So pack up your troubles in your own get bank and smile, smile, smile. <laughs> she sang in there, what's the what's the use of worrying while you've a cigarette? light a match with your cigarette. Smile, boys. Put your pack on your back. Now, I'm very sure my mother did not know what she was singing. <laughs> smile, smile, smile. Is that the interpretation of Romans 4, verse 4? Pretend happiness if you have to. Mind over matter. Mood over matter. You know some Christians like that. Let's read the text again, Romans 4, beginning with verse 4, written to a group of Christians in a very prosperous Roman colony, by the way. This is where the roots of European Christianity begin. In Philippi, Paul writes to them, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, verses 5, 6, and 7, that will be our study next week. For today, my interest is really in these first 10 words, and I invite you to consider the first 10 words only. The NIV, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. In the Amplified Bible, rejoice in the Lord always, and if we don't understand it, they give us a little parentheses, delight, gladden yourselves in him. Again, I say, rejoice. The contemporary English version, always be glad because of the Lord. I will say it again, be glad. And Eugene Peterson's message, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. And we glean from these translations a few little ideas. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice could be understood as be glad, be well, thrive, thrive, be alive. Although sometimes understood to mean farewell, it usually is, is understood be glad, be well, thrive. Now, Paul has already, he uses this word about 10 times in this very short little letter, but if you flip back to chapter 3, you'll see he began the conclusion of the letter. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, finally, fellow believers, rejoice in the Lord. And then I guess he's really not done because he goes on for a whole chapter with warnings and teachings. But then he comes back 
in chapter 4 and, and says it again. Be well, be safe, thrive, be glad in the Lord. And again, I say it, rejoice in chapter 4, verse 1. Now, this is more than pretending happiness. Be glad, be well, thrive. That's more than putting the corners up on your mouth even when you feel otherwise. The visioning committee at this church for months now has been working on um, summarizing what, what our church believes its role to be in the community, how we'd like to see ourselves in the future. That's how our banners got here last Sabbath. We have been attached to this word joy in the visioning process for months now. We like that word, but we don't know what to do with it in the committee. So it remains on the bulletin board, and it makes it in all the minutes. Don't forget the joy. We just don't know where it belongs yet. It didn't make it in the mission statement. It didn't make it in the visioning statement. It, maybe it'll make it somewhere else. We want to remember that the Christian life is supposed to be a joyous life. Yet Maggie Cotton reminded us very carefully this last time we met, when we use the word joy, we want to use it with intention. We don't want to use it in, in a shallow, superficial way. The Calo Mesa SDA Church will be a joyful community, like it or not. <laughs> we don't want to use it that way. We don't want to use the word in a way that says we are joyful because of what we do, because we understand the joy is from another source. We want to be careful about how we use the word, and I think the Apostle Paul understands that, and he can express what, what we've been wrestling with when he says rejoice in who? Rejoice in the Lord. Right there, we, we, I, I believe we find what it is unique about biblical, Christian, discipleship kind of joy, its origin and its source is in God. That's what makes our joy different from the joy the world chases or offers. It finds its source in God. It is God who is making all things new. So I'd like to say it this way this morning, thrive, be glad, be well, thrive, Thrive in your life. Rejoice because every good thing about you and your life, God did. That's what Paul is saying. And every wrong thing about you or your life, everything that needs help about you or in your life, God would like to resolve. That's why you can be glad and thrive in the Lord. Because God's mercy never ends. Because God has a kind of love, a righteousness that attends to these things. And the early Christians were beginning to get into that experience and understand, oh, there's another kind of joy we didn't know anything about. Now, I like very much what Houston Smith says about this. When we decide, he studies world religions, and he says, when we decide to actually rejoice in the Lord, to thrive in the Lord's love, in the Lord's accomplishments, one of the things that happens to humans is we unburden ourselves. He believes the one most significant burden we lose or we lift is the burden of ego. Because we will delight in the Lord and not in our own accomplishments. Like little hamsters on a habit trail, you feel like that in life sometimes? <laughs> working, working, achieving, going, getting, consuming, doing more, more, more. Yet if we actually were to rejoice, thrive, be well, be glad in the Lord's accomplishments, we, uh, we unburden ourselves of ego and our sense that sometimes we accomplish an awful lot in this world. The truth is it's not possible 
for us to accomplish what needs to be done in our broken world, right? Isn't that right? Humans come to the task incapable. I'm always reminded whenever the fires swirl up again, like this last week, humans are incapable at the will of the wind and the flames. The wind and the flames care not what property they come upon. Listen to a story of a woman being interviewed this week, nearly 80 years old, did not want to leave her home in the tea fire. Finally, her friends carried her out. She found herself in a high school gymnasium, a make-do's shelter. The reporter was asking her about her life and her home that she just lost. She said, I didn't want to leave. I came to Hollywood years ago as a young woman. I was a stunt actress. The reporter said, interesting. Were you in any, any movies? We would know. She said very quickly, abruptly, well, yes, Ben-Hur. I was the stunt double for Charlton Heston in his chariot. Don't you love that a girl did that? Wow. I listened. She said, you know, you don't have a very long career as a stunt double in Hollywood. Your body needs to be young and strong. So when that was done, I transitioned into social work. I worked with Los Angeles County for years as a social worker. I had a good life. I had everything I needed. In fact, I bought what I wanted. When I was tired of my clothes, I gave them to the welfare department for someone else who needed them. How ironic I find myself today, she said, standing in front of a table a welfare table hoping to find clothes for my body. Because when it really mattered, humans were not capable of stopping that fire. Just like in Yorba Linda, did you hear the homes there in the Anaheim Hills area? For two hours, I understand fire engines and firefighters and hose and, and lights moving, ready, on scene, ready to do the work, but they could not put out the flames because all the water was going to the top of the ridge. The homes at the top were sucking the water off. And here are firefighters. Every possible thing you need to attack a blaze is present, but there is no water. And people watched their homes go up in flames. Humans incapable of solving the problems in this world. When we decide to take the instruction from Paul, be well, thrive, be glad in God's accomplishments, one of the things that happens is we lay down our ego and our ability that we could solve these things. We can't. So it's worth asking if you feel absent of the Christian joy the Bible speaks of so richly, I just wonder if you've laid your ego down yet. That's a hard question to say and a hard question to hear. Do you really believe God can be God? Are you allowing God to be God or are you working on God's job description? Because I find sometimes I am. I'm actually working away at what God is supposed to be doing. I don't think I've ever found a more talented, capable, energetic, problem-solving, gifted kind of church than the Calamesa Church. Under this roof sits some of the most capable people in the world. I think I shall never find a group like you. Anything that needs to be done, you can do. Anything, church. And that leads us to a little bit of a false security in our own ability. Because we're so good most of the time. We can do so much most of the time. 
But the instruction from Paul requires of us that we lay down ego, that we lay down any faith we have in our own abilities, and we let God be God. Be well, be glad, thrive, because God is God. God is on the job. That's what the text says. I believe another reality embedded in this text, why Christian joy is different than the joy in the world, is this idea that this joy is not ignorant or uninformed. The joy Paul speaks of, Paul speaks out of an experience of the cruel, dark side of life. Paul knew about the cruel, dark side of life when he was Saul and when he was rounding Christians up and hauling them away for for torture. Paul knows about the dark side of life because of how he inflicted it. Paul also knows about the cruel, dark side of life because of what he's endured himself. Imprisoned, snake-bitten, shipwrecked, depressed, isolated, excluded, lonely, hungry. The list goes on and on. Paul knows about the dark side of life because he's experienced it. And yet he is able to give this instruction, be glad, be well, thrive, in light of all that he's experienced. It's an informed joy. And that matters Because we look around our world and we see the pain. We see the troubled world. Janelle and Mitchell lost Greg this week. We lost Greg this week. And we have another sweet one, Paul Eldridge, slipping away. We look around and we see in light of the cruel, dark side of the world, be well, thrive. And Paul comes out the other side of it saying, be well and thrive, not because these trials are absent or you've ignored them, but because God is present. Be well and thrive. Come out the other side, knowing the cruel, dark world you are in because God is on that job. God is present. It's an informed joy Paul instructs us into. Be glad, be well, thrive. Any trial, any challenge, any overwhelming thing we've endured, Paul speaks in light of that. I see lots of students home from college We're glad you're home. Whatever you endured the last few weeks at school, all of those trials and challenges, and they're financial and they're academic and they're social and they're being away from home, good and bad, being away from home. Whatever it is, whatever trial or challenge it is, the biblical instruction, be glad, be well, thrive, not while you ignore those things, but with those things alive because you got a God who stood present with you all these weeks while you were away at school. So be well, be glad, thrive. Any challenge you have endured, God's endured it with you. This is what we know is the great controversy in Adventist Christianity. And your God, my God, is on the job. So Paul says, thrive. A people who can rejoice are a sign, they're a symbol, a witnessing community, a symbol of a good God. That's why our worship time together here this morning is so powerful. A community that could, could actually do this kind of rejoicing, an informed joy, a joy that lays down human ego and allows God to be a God, a witnessing community. The world needs to hear our testimony. What's very alive in my own life is how quickly 
when I leave this place or I leave my grouping with Christians, how quickly this thriving and this gladness and this joy is just squashed out in the world, you know, right? Little a million little tiny things take away your joy every day. You know, I took my Bible and my laptop into Firestone this week. I, I, I hate going to the mechanic. I, I hate it. I cannot deal with those people because here's why. They probably can't deal with me either. I go in and I just need to repair a front tire that I've run over a nail, and I know that's going to cost me $500 because it's going to mean four new tires. We'd give you two, but you really should do all four at the same time because the wear. Uh. I take the car in for a regular rotation and alignment of the car because I've paid for a lifetime service. It's already free. I take it in, but I know I'm going to come out with a new boot on my axle and new front brakes and $700. I know. That's what it, mean. that's what it means when you take your car in. I know regularly scheduled maintenance is a code word. <laughs> it means about $1,500 on a good day. So I don't take the car in. I, I usually ask my husband, could you please, 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 I can't deal with these people. I took the car on Tuesday, my car. Just needed an oil change. The quote's $32.99. I have my Bible and my laptop, and I'm sitting in the little waiting room there typing away, rejoice in the Lord always. I know this is going to cost me $2,000. This is how God works with me. I don't know what it looks like for you, but the mechanic comes back a few minutes later, and um, I'm just praying he's not calling for me, and he does. He comes and says, ma'am, which you know I don't like that word anyhow. Ma'am. So I look up. Um, I am tense from the waist up to the neck, the top of the head. Just let me have it. I know it's coming. Ma'am, would you like us to rotate your tires? Because the wear is a little uneven. Would, would probably, you know, lengthen the life of your tires. Yes. That's it? Yeah, that's it. He goes back out. But I know we're not done yet. <laughs> now the tires are going to come off. I, didn't, I did not ask for the 99-point inspection. He even said, anything else you'd like done to your vehicle today? No, nothing. I said, nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> no, I don't even want the free inspection, just the oil. <laughs> so I told him, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm typing away. He comes back, ma'am, your car, uh, can, you, can you come, you know? I, you know the part where they take you out to look when it's up? You know, it happens to you too. He comes back and uh, we look at the car and we go to the counter and my bill is $32.99, just like the quote. That never happens to me. How many crazy little tiny things in your day and in your week, a thousand things that go wrong, that squish out this perspective of rejoicing in the Lord. One thousand little tiny small insignificant things, how far we've come in this country from the first Thanksgiving when Europeans came, when there was no food, when the greatest gesture, the greatest gift anyone could give my ancestors was teach them how to grow vegetables so they could eat next year. How far I've come in my entitlement and my 
deserving attitude. One thousand things went wrong in my week and it squishes my joy. Little tiny ridiculous things. But friends, that's why the Bible keeps calling us back and reminding maybe why Paul has to say it again and again and again. No, you didn't hear me. Be well, thrive, be glad in the Lord because that's what matters. Psalms 118 is what they were reading here. Give thanks to the Lord. His mercy, his everlasting kindness, the unique kind of love that comes only from God endures forever, the text says. Now that's what matters in the world. Give thanks to the Lord. The Hebrew word has the idea of hurling praises to heaven. Hurl praise to heaven for his goodness, his unique kind of love, his mercy endures forever and ever and ever. What the world needs is a witness, a, a community like this who can stand up and say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it again and again until you hear the Lord is good. His love endures forever. It is not a thousand things that went wrong this week. For you, 1,000 things went right. Take inventory. I'm sure wherever you came from today, 1,000 things went right in your world this week. And whatever went right, whatever is right in your world is because God is on the job. Whatever was not quite right, God would like to resolve. One thousand things went right in your world. Begin to make your list as we watch this little video in closing together. Be glad. Be well. Thrive. Because one thousand things went right this week at the hand of your good God. Amen. Amen, church, yes. Will you say with me, rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You almost mean it. Say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So be well, be glad, thrive, church. Go out in joy and return in peace. May all the people say, Amen.